Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we'll look at verses 22 and 23 again this morning. And the text is printed in the bulletin for you on the next page. <clears throat> um, we'll read it all together in just a minute. Uh, we're talking about goodness today. Goodness. So several times this week, uh, I noticed, I overheard the kids doing their online school, and they'll be reading through something. You know, it's, it's a reading portion, and a child will have to read a few sentences. And then they do some vocabulary with their teachers, right? They're asked to define a certain word that they come across in their reading together. And I would hear this pretty frequently. They would say, oh, I know what it means. I just don't know how to say it. I know what that word means. I'm not sure how to, how to describe it, how to explain it, how to define it. I don't know how to say what that word means. I felt that way this week a lot when um, trying to define goodness. Goodness as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. What do we really mean when we say that someone is a good person? What should we mean when we say someone is a good person? What should we mean by that concept of goodness? Uh, John Calvin was actually, uh, he's a bit frustrating in his commentary when he says it's a term that requires no explanation. (laughs) I guess that means we should all assume we know what goodness is. I don't think we can all just assume that we know what goodness is. After all, it's been one of the great tasks undertaken by all philosophers, all philosophers everywhere for thousands of years to provide a definition of goodness. It's like in your basic job description as a philosopher. What is good? What is goodness? Try to define that. Uh, And philosophers have not really come to a great uh, consensus on that. I don't think we should look to the philosophers for our definition. We should learn what God means by goodness in the scriptures. We should learn what Jesus means when he talks about goodness. We should learn how Jesus is good. And in particular, we should learn what Paul means by using it here in this list in Galatians, how we can come to bear this fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of goodness in our lives. So that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the Scripture. Father, we pray for your help. We have a lot of assumptions about uh, a lot of things, but your Scriptures reveal to us that, that oftentimes, especially when it comes to spiritual things, Our assumptions are wrong. Our expectations and instincts are wrong. And so we pray that you would help us, not just that you would overturn our assumptions and expose us and just leave us hanging, but that you would help us to have a biblical perception of what is good, how you are good, how Christ is good, how we can become good in Christ's name. We pray that you'd help us as we consider your word. Help us by the power of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name now. Amen. All right, so uh, as we've done through this series on the fruit of the spirit, we're going to read this together as it's printed in the bulletin. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, how do the scriptures talk about goodness? 
I mean, it's a big subject in the Bible. It's addressed in many ways, uh, beginning in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1. Seven times, the perfect number, uh, seven times God paused during his work of creation to evaluate what he had made. To evaluate what he had made. God would make something by the power of his word, and then he would look upon it. And he would judge it. He would have a response to it. Six times during the process that we find in chapter 1, he saw that what he had made was good. And then, in his ultimate creative act, God made humanity in his image. And at the end of all this work of creation, the seventh and final time, it says that he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So when God created the heavens and the earth and all the creatures that fill them, he considered it to be good. It's a job well done. And it met with his approval. And when God brought it all together with humanity, the masterpiece of his creation, his evaluation, his judgment, was that it was all very good. The scriptures reveal that this is what God saw. That's what it says all those times. He saw that it was good. He saw, and behold, it was very good. This is what he saw when he surveyed his work. So it's not just something that he said aloud. It's not just something that he declared for the benefit of his hearers to inform us that what he had done was good. This was his response. This was his real internal response to what he had made. So something is good, right here in the first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, something is good when it pleases God. Something is good when it resonates with God and with his purposes. Something is good when God says yes to it, when that's his internal, real response. So goodness in the Bible is the quality of something being satisfying to God. Clearly, this is not the result of some surprise discovery of something foreign and new. God saying, well, look at this. I've never seen something like this before. I've never thought of this. I've never encountered this. Um, It's not just a surprise discovery of something foreign and new. Like when you try some new food that you never imagined even existed and tasted so good. Everything he made came from him. Everything he made came from his imagination. That's where it originated. He created the heavens and the earth and all that fills them. He created everything that he says is good because of who he is, because of his being, because of his character, because of his will, because of his purposes. Right? So goodness is not just some abstract concept. That you know, God will recognize it when he sees it. He doesn't really know what it is, but oh, there it is. There it is. That's good. Right? It's not arbitrary or capricious for God to call something good. Goodness is the quality of something that, that comes from God and pleases God. So we take our definition of goodness from the revelation of who God is. We, from the revelation of his being. From the revelation of his character. And the revelation of his will. We derive our understanding of goodness from what God says about himself. So human goodness, human goodness then, speaking very generally, 
is that which accords with God's being and God's character and God's will. You can say someone is good when they reflect who God is, when they're like God. Human goodness is when God looks at us and he says, yes. When God recognizes what he sees as coming from himself, as being in accord with himself, when when what he sees in us resonates with him and it pleases him when he is satisfied with what he sees. That's what human goodness is or should be. Alas, since that initial evaluation in Genesis 1, what God has seen in humanity has not been so satisfying to him. In our sin, we got out of tune with him, so we no longer resonate with God. What God calls good, we tend to call evil. That's what he says. And what God calls evil, we tend to call good. We have such different instincts now about what is good, about the nature of things like like love and power and glory. We have such different instincts about those things that we actually do not recognize them when God shows them to us in the Lord Jesus. We don't even recognize them. We're all backwards and upside down and inside out. We're all tainted and corrupt and distorted versions of what God intended us to be when he created us in his image. And it's repeated several times throughout the scriptures. This is made clear to us. No one does good. Nothing good dwells in me. No one is good except God alone. So in and of ourselves, none of us reflect the goodness of God back to him. In and of ourselves, none of us pleases or satisfies God. We might like to think that human beings are basically good, that at the core uh, of humanity is our capacity for being good and for doing good, but the Lord Jesus says it quite clearly. He's the one who says it very clearly in the Gospels. He says in our Gospel reading, which Calvin read from Matthew 19, there is only one who is good. And in the parallel passages that Mark And Luke record in their Gospels, he puts it this way, no one is good except God alone. And in Matthew 7 and Luke 11, when Jesus is teaching his own disciples to pray, of any of the people that you would expect, he might give the compliment of being good. He's teaching them to pray, and he calls his own disciples evil. He says, you being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. So you know some semblance of what is good. Just imagine, by contrast, actually the good God, how he knows how to give good gifts to his children. It's not hyperbolic. Jesus is not exaggerating. He is revealing God's truth, whether it's something we like to hear or not. God says that in our sin, in our self-centeredness, in our desires and efforts to live apart from him, we are all, without exception, evil. By violating our relationship with God, by rejecting him, by refusing his lordship and refusing his love, by our rebellion and disobedience, we have not only done evil, we've become evil. God alone is good, Jesus says. God alone is perfectly true to his nature, 
perfectly true to his being and his character and his will. And Jesus, who is God in the flesh, then, he's the, he's the only truly good human being. Jesus is the only person whose whole life resonates with God. He's the only person who lives in perfect accord with God's nature. He's the only person who is recognizable to God as reflecting his image. He's the only person who satisfies God. So when God looks upon his son, behold, what he sees is very good. And God says to him, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So God says a resounding yes to Jesus alone. The only way for us to become truly good and the only way for us to do good and for our goodness actually to resonate with God, for him to say yes to us, is for us to come to him in union with his son, Jesus, who is the only good one. This is implied in the encounter that we heard in the gospel reading. So the rich young man, he comes to Jesus. He asks the good teacher what good deed he must do to have eternal life. He's convinced himself, actually, that he has been good. You pick that up from reading this story. He's convinced himself that he's done good, even that he's kept the whole law of God as Jesus has laid it out before him. He's convinced himself that he's a good person. And really, it sounds like he just wants Jesus to confirm that for him. But Jesus loves him too much just to affirm his goodness. He won't do it. And he does it because he loves him. That's what it says in the parallel <clears throat> that we find in Mark's gospel. In chapter 10, it says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So in his love, it's made explicit. In his love, Jesus dismantled this man's illusions about himself. He unraveled this man's illusions about himself as a good person. In his love, Jesus exposed the fact that this man did not resonate with God's being and God's character and God's will. This man didn't love God with all his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. He didn't love his neighbor as himself. If this man truly were good, then he would do anything Jesus said instantly and wholeheartedly. If this man were truly good, then his relationship with God would be so important to him that he would rejoice to follow Jesus. To, even to forsake all worldly possessions, to bless others in a generosity that mirrors God's own generosity. <clears throat> but in fact, the man had false gods controlling his life. He had his great possessions. And he would rather keep his great possessions than follow Jesus. He might like to think of himself as good and obedient, but he was just evil just like the rest of us. And so his disciples saw this interaction and they despaired. And at some level, it's a good response for them to have. And it's a good question they ask, because they ask, who then can be saved? Here's this guy who's apparently kept all of God's law. We think he's a really good guy. How can anyone be saved if this guy walks away from Jesus? 
If there's only one who is good, as Jesus says, if no one is good except God alone, then how can anyone have eternal life? And their question just sets up the main point that Jesus is making. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You cannot be good. You cannot do good. But God is good. Jesus is good. And he shares his goodness with us. He shares his goodness with you. Just as God looked upon his original creation, Genesis 1, and behold, it was very good. Now God looks on Jesus. He looks on him as what is called the the firstborn of the new creation. And behold, what he sees is very good. And the only way you can resonate with God is if you're united to Jesus by his spirit as part of this new creation. If you are, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, you're created anew in Christ Jesus for good works. It's only by abiding in Jesus through the spirit that you will bear the fruit of his goodness. And this is the free gift of his grace to you. It's impossible with people like us, but it's possible with Jesus. In Christ, believe it or not, but you should believe it. God is satisfied with you. And he's pleased with you. In Christ, because of Christ, he looks upon you, he sees the goodness of Jesus himself, the perfect goodness. And as you consider the perfect goodness of the Lord Jesus, and as you dwell in him, abide in him, like he says in John 15, then the goodness of his life, it comes alive in you. This is what the scriptures in general have to say about goodness. And now we come to what Paul is saying here in particular in the book of Galatians. We find this list of the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians chapter 5. Several commentators point out the fact that the idea of goodness here has the specific overtones of generosity. Um, Later in Galatians, Paul uses the same root word twice and then another sort of a synonym for good um, as he encourages the church to take care of each other. He says in Galatians 6, starting in verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And then down in verse 9 and 10, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. So goodness here in the context of Galatians, it it looks like it means generosity. And this makes a lot of sense in the scope of all the scriptures because generosity perfectly reflects who God is, perfectly resonates with his being and his character and his will. If you're going to become good in union with Christ... If you're going to do good in accordance with the goodness of Jesus, it means you'll be generous. That's a big part of what goodness means in the scriptures. So in Matthew 20, Jesus tells this parable. I'll read it. The the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, 
He saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went, going out again at the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they'd received more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us. Who've borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat? But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And that last word, generosity translates the same root of the word that we read as goodness in Galatians 5. Do you begrudge my generosity, my goodness? Because I've been lavishly, insanely generous and good to these last workers who barely did any work? God shows the same glorious grace to all his people, no matter how late in the game we come, no matter what each of us deserves. It's not a question of what seems right and fair in the sight of sinners. God is perfectly satisfied with the rightness and fairness of his salvation. It's a matter of his his generous goodness. His salvation is. When God sent his son into the world to bless us, to pour out his life for us, to freely welcome us back into his kingdom, to pledge himself to us forever, to be our God and to take us as his people, it was all the gracious provision of his abundant generosity. This is the goodness of God on display in our salvation. Do you recognize the goodness of Jesus when you see it? Do you recognize the generous goodness of Jesus in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and his ascension for us? Do you resonate with it? Do you celebrate it or do you begrudge it? When you see it in other people, when you see the goodness of Jesus to other people, do you celebrate it or do you begrudge it? Do you want to reflect his generous goodness in your life? Do you want to extend the generous goodness of Jesus to other people? Generous goodness describes the very being and character and will of God. He is the God of every good and perfect gift. That's who he is. The God who created this rich, plentiful world in order to share it and give it out of sheer largesse has made us and he's renewed us in his image in Christ, so that we would reflect his own generosity, so that we would share and give, just as he has shared and and given. This is the goodness that Jesus embodies, to give all that he has, to give his very self for us, as he perfectly reflects the nature of the generous God. When Jesus looked upon the rich young man with love and called him to follow him, He was calling him to follow him in this goodness, follow him in this generosity. 
The Lord looks upon you with love, and he calls you to the same thing, to follow him in his generous goodness. Our lives have been given to us so that we would be generous with them. Everything that we have is given to us so that we would be generous and good with it toward others. Because of our relationship with him, then, with Jesus, we place all that God has given us at his disposal, at the Lord's disposal. Because of the Spirit's renewal of us, we begin to reflect Christ's goodness when we share and when we give in order to bless others and to care for them. And we have ample opportunity to do that. As Paul says, as long as you have opportunity, be good to one another, do good to one another. We have opportunity. It doesn't matter whether you have much or whether you have little. It doesn't matter whether you have a regular income or whether you're a child who has no allowance. It doesn't matter. You are called to follow Jesus in his generous goodness and his spirit. By his spirit, you can participate in the the fruitful life of Christ, in his goodness, in his generosity. You can, whoever you are. For example, uh, each Advent season, as we said during the announcements, uh, each Advent season, our denomination collects this offering to take care of needy and retired and disabled pastors and missionaries and church lay workers and their widows and their dependent children. We do that as a way to care for one another. Our generous goodness is is shown in Christ as we participate in an offering like that. On a more regular basis, you all have the opportunity to share, share all good things with me and with other pastors who come to teach the word. And I'm grateful for your generous goodness. And you have that opportunity on a regular basis. And you can do good to each other. And you can do good to your neighbors as need arises. Not withholding generosity from those that you deem to be unworthy of generosity. We don't, we don't do that. After all, no one deserves the generosity of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't deserve it. And he lavishes upon us anyway. These are tangible ways for us to to reflect the generous goodness of Christ, to do good to those, uh, to to all, but especially to those who are the household of faith. When God sees us being generous because of our relationship with Jesus, when he sees us being generous in the name of Jesus, behold, what he sees is good and very good. Freely we have received the generosity of Christ. Let us freely give and bear the fruit of his own goodness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your son had a way of exposing the truth about us that we call evil what is good and we call good what is evil, that our instincts about your goodness and your love and your power and your glory are are all wrong. Your son also perfectly reveals the true goodness of your being and your character and your will to us. In Christ, your goodness pursues us all of our days. And so we pray in Christ, in his name, that by the power of your spirit, you would satisfy us with your goodness. You would tune our hearts to resonate with what you have said is good. You would help us to celebrate your generous goodness to us and to others in the world. We pray that you'd help us to reflect your goodness in our lives and in our relationships in ways that truly resonate with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.